We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you just keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know that you could bet on games after they kick off? If by the second half it looks like your bet's going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year to start. Only in week two, guys. You can still jump in. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit, as long as you use the promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. So you go in, you drop $50 on your MyBookie account, they're going to make sure your account has $100 in it when you start betting. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. You are listening to The Uncontested, an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy Pete. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can find all of our pods, really, wherever you listen to podcasts and at bluewirepods.com. Welcome to episode five of our season preview podcast series. Uh, This episode, we have four more teams that we preview for you guys. 
uh, leading up to the start of the NBA season, which is actually just right around the corner. So this week, teams we have on deck, uh, Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports and recurring guest of the pod comes on to talk about the Boston Celtics. We have another Keith, Keith Parrish. Of, he's the host of the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. It's kind of a mouthful. And part of the step back, he comes on to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Shamit Dua comes on to chat about the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson. Uh, Shamit is part of the the podcast In the Know, and also he writes for Bourbon Street Shots. And then lastly, from Dunking with Wolves, we have Jack Borman. Uh, he, he obviously contributes for Dunking with Wolves on the fan-sided network. And Jack joins us to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves and their upcoming season. So really, without further ado, let's just jump straight into this and, and get you guys started. And the first one we're going to listen to is Keith Smith at, on the Boston Celtics. All right, guys, we're now joined by Keith Smith. He's a contributor for Yahoo Sports, Real GM, Celtics Blog, and the NBA Front Office Show. You can find him on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. And also on his Twitter, you can find his NBA salary and roster sheets. Uh, It's just a really nice thing he does for everybody. It's free. You can go on there and kind of check out uh, what the team's roster is looking like, uh, what their salary situation is as far as the salary cap goes. It's a very, very good resource if you're ever interested in uh, kind of seeing where your team's at when it comes to that. Uh, Keith, how you doing? I know you uh, kind of went through a, a crazy time these last couple weeks with the Hurricanes. I'm glad you're okay. Uh, thank you, yeah, for you know all the best to the folks in the Bahamas and Abaco Island who suffered far more than we did here in Florida. We got very, very lucky after looking like it was going to be a direct hit for us. We we got pretty lucky in my area, so we're uh, you know very thankful for that. But th- thanks for the well wishes. Absolutely. So looking at the Celtics last season, they finished at 49 and 33 good for fourth place in the Eastern Conference and third in the Atlantic Division. They ended up losing to the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round. Uh, kind of touch on your your takeaway from last season um, and, and kind of what you thought went wrong as far as not making it as far as some people thought they could. Yeah, definitely fell way short of expectations. The, the thought was that team would be a legitimate finals contender, and they really – struggled to get to the levels that we thought it was uh at the beginning of the year i think a lot of it came down to figuring out how to reintegrate Kyrie irving how to really integrate gordon hayward because he only played five minutes in the previous season so this was a lot of figuring things out and that periods of time they looked pretty good there were there were chunks of the year where they looked like they were going to be a team that was really going to push it forward and and be there but by the end of the year it was just a very unhappy group of guys Uh, they they swept the Pacers in the first round but it's never really felt quite like it was it, it was really turning the corner and then against the Bucks after blowing them out in game one in Milwaukee it all fell apart the wheels came off and Kyrie Irving was very unhappy he 
clearly backed that up with his play on the court. He he wasn't doing anything uh, helpful at all in the defensive end. And uh, asking a guard Giannis and Chris Middleton at times when he never should have been in those positions. And then from there, it turned into him taking a bunch of bad shots on the offensive end. And it just all fell apart for, for Boston. So just you have too, too many mouths to feed, too many guys with expectations put on them and just never came together the way that everybody had hoped it would. So absolutely. So with, with last year's disappointing season kind of in their rearview mirror, uh, the Celtics were one of the more active teams this summer uh, as far as roster transactions. So go ahead and just touch on any additions, subtractions, trades, uh, guys they drafted, things like that to, to have this new look Celtics team going into the 2019-20 season. Yeah, a lot of turnover, as you said. They obviously lost Kyrie Irving. They lost Al Horford. They traded away Aaron Baines at the the, uh, the NBA draft. They they moved moved on from from several guys who were major parts of the the team in the prior couple of seasons, and that, that's going to be different. Marcus Morris, who is one of their key uh, reserve spot starter kind of guy, Terry Rozier, big part of the the rotation over the last couple of seasons. Those guys are all now gone, and, and in their place, they they brought in the the two. Big additions were Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor. Those are the two guys that they, they're bringing in, hopefully, uh, to replace some of the production that they got from Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. I think Walker for Irving is far more of an even trade, and it's we will probably spend more time talking about that one for sure. Uh, Cantor for Horford, that, that's very, very different. Cantor's a far better rebounder. He's a different offensive player than Horford, but Horford is a much better uh, defensive player. And then they, they from from there, the uh, the rest of the roster was filled out with with rookies for the most part. They added Grant Williams in the NBA draft. He's going to be a guy who's probably going to be a contributor from day one. He's a little more ready to go right off the jump. Romeo Langford was their highest draft pick, but he's a guy who's probably a two-year project or so. He's going to take a little bit of time to, to get ready. Carson Edwards was added in the second round. And then uh, Tremont Waters is a guy who's going to be on a two-way. They they added those guys. And then Vincent Poirier, this is a guy who they brought in from uh, France. He's coming over. He's a big man. He's a center, a defensive-minded guy. And I think a little bit of the hope for Boston is that they can use him and Cantor as an offense-defense combo with also be both being plus rebounders. So it's going to be a di- different look Celtics team from what we've seen. And they're going to be asking a lot from their young guys who are holdovers on the roster to step forward this coming season. In your opinion, just based off of what you said there, do you feel going into game one of the upcoming season, this this new Celtics team is better or worse than last year's Celtics team? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think they're results-wise, I think they're going to be right around the same. I think they'll be right around a 50-win team. And the reason for that is they're just going to be different. I think they are still probably the third-best team in the Eastern Conference behind Milwaukee and Philadelphia. This year, They the, the Raptors, I expect, will take a pretty healthy step back. So I think that they're going to be the third-best team in the East. Now, that's not, not saying much because it's they're, I'm projecting them to be right around 50 wins. But I, I just think they're going to be similar, but similar results-wise. But just it'll be a very different look and different path to to how they get there. Because the main thing is, I think Walker for Irving, it's production-wise, it's going to be 
pretty similar. I think Kyrie in a vacuum is a better player than Kemba Walker. The challenges, fit, and chemistry really do matter, and I think Kemba's going to come in and be a much better fit for the Celtics both on and off the court and and just as a general fit in the locker room as well. I think that's going to really matter to to these guys and to this team, so that's going to be a big difference for them. And then losing Horford's going to be different, but they should be a much better rebounding team. I think Gordon Hayward's going to be better in year two returning from that injury. That's what everyone is expecting. That that was the case with Paul George, so hopeful of that being the case for Hayward. Then I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will continue to improve as young guys, and they'll they'll continue to take big steps forward towards really reaching, the, reaching their potential as this season goes along. I think that's a great analogy how you mentioned, um, you know, Kemba Walker compared to Kyrie Irving, you know, in a vacuum. You know, Kyrie would would be considered a better player. But fit-wise, I do agree that Kemba, for this young Celtics team, is a much better fit. So I I do think the Celtics, although they will look different, will probably be just as good or better than last year. Um, But but with that answer in mind, what part of this team, as far as depth goes, are you most worried about? It's it's up front for for sure. I think they've got plenty of guards. So so I always think of things. I've kind of trained my brain to think of it in terms of the way Brad Stevens looks at it. He he terms his positions ball handlers, bigs. Uh, wings and then swings swings being guys who can move between the positions and as far as ball handlers go they're fine they've got Kemba Walker they've got uh, Marcus Smart they've got Brad Wanamaker Carson Edwards they've got Hayward who can do some of the ball handling I think they're fine there wings they've got wings for days Hayward Tatum Brown I think Williams fits in a little bit there I think that's where Semi Ojale fits in that's where you can look at even guys like Smart can play as a wing and those kind of things they're fine it's the big men there's a lot of them but we don't really know what we're gonna get Cantor's the most known quantity by far you're gonna get good offensive production in and around the basket and you're gonna get a guy who is a really really good rebounder very underrated rebounder especially on the offensive glass which is something Boston has lacked for a number of years now going back really to the Kevin Garnett days they they haven't had that kind of elite level rebounder which is what Cantor is if he's if he can get enough minutes he's a guy who's gonna gonna get double figures and rebounds and then from there it's it's Parier and then it's a Robert Williams, maybe Daniel Tice. You're you're just kind of hoping for the best there, and obviously, you know, just so Celtics fans don't jump all over my case, let's throw Taco Fall into the mix because everybody's hopeful in Boston. <laughs> and maybe this guy makes the roster, but but it's that big rotation where you're most worried. That's where they definitely need the most work. Yeah, and so you've talked about this on our pod before. Um, I think most of our listeners have have heard several episodes you've been on. Uh, and you you mentioned guys like Robin Lopez. Obviously, he signed with the Bucks. Uh, do, do you see any kind of uh, big man target that the Celtics could look to go after uh, via trade? You know, maybe midway through the season, up until the trade deadline, and kind of how active do you think the Celtics team going to be, or do you think they're going to stand pat with the roster they currently have? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question because there's definitely going to be some guys who I think will be available via trade as we get into the season. I think there's going to be a mix of young guys who are ready to take the next step and then some veterans who maybe their their team is just going to look to move them. I look at guys like maybe Alex Len of the Hawks could fit Boston there. I don't think the Hawks are going to be asking too much of a price for Len despite the fact that he's probably at least going to start the year as their starting center, but but that's somebody that they might be willing to move on from uh, fairly quickly. And then I think, you know, the Toronto Raptors, their team, that I think if things aren't going where Toronto wants them to go, I think they could look to move expiring contracts like Marcus Hall, Serge Ibaka, even Kyle Lowry. That's obviously not a big man, but but I think the Raptors could kind of take this thing into teardown mode. The Knicks set up a lot of their contracts, although they signed a million big men. They, they set up all their contracts to be very tradable because there's very little guaranteed money on the second year. So I think, think the Celtics will have trade targets in mind. And then there's been the long, often talked about is could they go if – could something be in the works where they could trade Indiana, a guy like Jalen Brown, for someone like Damana Sabonis or think a little bigger, maybe Jalen Brown and something else for Miles Turner. And no, those are things there. The, the challenge with that is these are two teams that are in similar positions in the Eastern Conference. And I don't know how much either one's going to be really willing to jump in and help the other one out, despite the fact that it could balance and fit their rosters a little bit better. I just, that, that's hard to see when teams are, competing for roughly the same spot they generally don't get together on the trade market that's fair and and the Marc Gasol thing is not something I've I've put a whole lot of thought into but I think that would be uh, a great fit to be honest with you um, the, just the way he came in with that that veteran leadership with the Raptors last season the way he can you know be a playmaker I think on a young team like Boston his, his playmaking ability with the ball in his hands is a big could be crucial for a team like that come down the stretch in the playoffs um next question for you here keith what are your projections for this team in this upcoming season um as far as you know obviously they're going to be a playoff bound team you kind of touched on them being a top three team in the east uh but but what are your overall projections as far as when their season finally comes to an end at what point in the playoffs will that be yeah, I think it'll be similar to last year, probably in the second round at the hands of Milwaukee or Philadelphia. Maybe if everything breaks right and, and Hayward is really good and Kemba Walker continues to be the guy that he has been and Tatum or Brown uh, make a leap or both of them, maybe, maybe they can move past Philadelphia or Milwaukee. Maybe one of those teams doesn't stay too healthy and the Celtics can get back in the mix. And, and I don't want to underrate either when Brad Stevens has had kind of an underdog group and a guy, a bunch of guys who are workers and guys who are happy to be together, that's when he's gotten the most out of them. They had two top uh, of the conference finishes in back-to-back years with groups that, you know, quite frankly, weren't nearly as talented as this group is. Now, the conference wasn't as good either, but it was, you know, the case of they, they did get that done. So, so I think you could see the Celtics be really competitive and really push this thing further up the 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 latter to be a you know real true contender but things have to really break right for them to get there and that's that's yeah, well we'll see it's going to be kind of you know touch and go i think we'll have a much better understanding at the end of this season is this going to be a team that is much like they were a couple years ago 
they're a piece or two away from being contenders? Or is it really time to, all right, we got to move Brown or Tatum or, you know, really figure this out because they're locked in a walker for a few years now. You get another year of Hayward after this year. You got to really start to see, all right, what are we doing here? Or do, do you have to look to, all right, well, we're going to use some of these draft picks we have to move Hayward and that big money to get off that contract and bring in help that way. This year is going to go a long way towards determining things. But overall, I think, you know, for, for me, it's probably a, you know, pretty good regular season, competitive playoffs, but but out in the second round, maybe conference finals if everything breaks right. So I'm going to ask you the same question, but kind of twist it a little bit differently. To, I mean, I feel like you have a good grasp on, on Celtics fans. I'm sure they're always in your mentions on Twitter. What do you think would be considered a successful season for the common Celtics fan? I think getting back to the playoffs and being competitive, kind of what I kind of projected them to be, I think Celtics fans would be happy with that. But on top of that, as long as the team is a happy group and they are fun to watch and the young guys develop, that's really all they want to see. So even if it's a step back, let's say they're a mid-40 wins team instead of high 40s, you know, 50-win team, if they're they win 44, 45, 46 games, but they're a much more connected, happy group and the young kids are developing, I think Celtics fans will be perfectly content with that. And, and I think if they're a better team in April and May than they are in the November and December, then that'll be really important as well. Give us a player on the Celtics that is not a household name right now and, you know, your everyday NBA fan may not know, but by the end of this season, you think will be a much bigger a bigger name in the NBA. Yeah, I'm going to go with Vincent Poirier for that. I think he is the guy who is really going to turn some heads. I don't think a lot of people have any idea who this guy is, and he is a good, solid defensive big man. He is, you know, a very, very good rebounder, and then I think he his game fits where the NBA has gone with their big men because he's mobile. He can get to the basket. He can, you know, do a lot of things off the catch as a role man and as a, a guy who can get up for lobs and the like. So I think he's going to be someone who's really going to, going to step up and open some eyes because I think he will be a key rotation piece for Boston by the end of the season. I would have gone with Grant Williams, but too many people already know this guy and love him for a guy right. who's picked in the twenties. You know, he, he's that guy who I think everybody is like, how did he go so late? In the draft it's either him or brandon clark those are the two guys and i think it is um you know so you can't really go with that one that one's a little too popular so so i'll go with vincent poirier well whenever that comes to fruition we're gonna have to come back and, and clip that part of the podcast and make it go <laughs> viral <laughs> uh so we were looking at this before the the podcast here keith and it looks like the celtics uh most recent over under win projection in vegas is 49 and a half uh you were hinting at right around 50 earlier would you take the over or the under on 49 and a half given the opportunity? Yeah, man, this is why Vegas is so good, right? Because it's it's like right there. Like that that's what you feel like. I'm going to go with the over by by the half. I think they're going to win 50 games. I think that is a combination of I think they're better than people think and I think the Eastern Conference still has quite a few easy wins in it where I think they'll rack those those games up. I think they're going to do quite well against those those lesser teams because I think what Boston may now lack at the top end super star talent they will make up for in depth and that often gets you 
wins in a regular season where you know sometimes those teams that are that are really top heavy when you know you're missing one of those guys or you're doing the load management thing that can cost you a win where I think Boston's balance and depth throughout will help them you know achieve those wins that I think some of the other teams won't get agreed so last question here before I let you go uh, give us three warm to hot takes uh, for the Celtics this upcoming season, whether it be team or individual oriented. All right. So my team one is, I think they still finish as a top 10 defense despite losing Al Horford. I think people are looking at it with Cantor and everybody thinks it's laughable. Brad Stevens built a top uh, five defense around a team that heavily featured guys like Tyler Zeller in the uh, pivot spot. So I think he, he will get something figured out with Cantor. I think they're going to make him or ask him to do a lot of what the Portland Trailblazers did, which is a lot of drop coverage. Keep it very simple. Get him you know out there. He's not going to be Horford. He's not going to be defending you know one through five and switching and doing stuff on the perimeter. But I think they'll make it simple. Uh, an individual piece, I think Jason Tatum makes the all-star team. I, I think maybe that's warmish take, but I think he's going to, by the end of the year, we will view him as easily Boston's best player. And I think he will you know, clearly be an all-star, and I think he's going to be really good. And then I think a guy, I'll give you another one. I think Gordon Hayward is not Utah Gordon Hayward, but he's really, really close to that. I think he will step up in a big, big way and look a lot more like the guy Boston hoped they got a couple years ago versus the guy we've seen so far. Yeah, I think he's their X factor. I think if Gordon Hayward can get anywhere close to the way he was in Utah, it's it's going to be a really, really good team. Uh, so, Keith, thanks for coming on with us today. Again, guys, you can find him on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. He is a contributor for Yahoo Sports NBA, Real GM, Celtics Blog, and the NBA Front Office Show. Uh, go ahead and give him a follow. He's got uh, information from all around the league. He's he's tweeting out things all the time. Uh, make sure you give him a follow. He's definitely someone uh, you want to have on your timeline. Keith, thanks for coming on as always, and we'll be talking to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Again, I just want to shout out Keith Smith for coming on the pod once again. I think that's time number three or four for him to come on the pod with us. Awesome, awesome guy, and I'm convinced he's going to be working for an NBA team sooner rather than later. So make sure you go, guys go follow Keith on Twitter. And now I want to talk about Axios Sports. There are countless ways to keep up with what's happening in the world of sports, but how are you supposed to read every great article? How are you supposed to go watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your day? Scrolling through all the different apps and all the different articles, visiting every website on a daily basis is nearly impossible. Now coming to the stage, though, is Axios Sports. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning, you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA and the NFL, even in niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The email newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. You just go to sports.axios.com. Axios Sports is clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. You can read it in five minutes in the elevator, or you can take a deep dive into some of the articles while you're at work. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the cool person sharing amazing links with your friends and coworkers. Join the over 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. 
This is a free curated sports content delivered directly to your email inbox. Do yourself and your time a favor. Sign up for free for the Axios Sports newsletter. It's at sports.axios.com. Seriously, I subscribe to it and it makes me feel more informed, especially I'm not an NFL guy, so it helps me out with the NFL a lot. Spend time clicking through websites, apps, and social media platforms is a thing of the past. You just need to try this for free at sports.axios.com. And now let's move on to our next interview for their season preview with the Memphis Grizzlies. We brought on Keith Parrish of the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. Hey everyone, it's Justin, and I am now joined by Keith Parrish to talk a little bit about the Memphis Grizzlies. Keith is a co-host of the incredible Fast Break Breakfast podcast. You can find him on Twitter or Instagram at Fast Break Break, and Keith is on Twitter at Keith Parrish. Keith, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, happy to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on saying Fast Break Breakfast correctly the first time. A lot of people stumble over it the first time. They've, they've never put those words before. It's a little tricky. I yeah. didn't know what to do when I got to the handle if I go Fast Break Break or Fast Break Brick. Or no, no, you did it. You did it perfect. No perfect. one has ever gone Fast Break Brick, but I would have been okay with it. <laughs> but it's just it's two words you see, you know them, you're very familiar with the words, but almost every time I'm on a podcast, the host stumbles because something about break and breakfast messes up in our mouths it happened it's to tricky. us when we were talking about it but you did awesome <laughs> thank you well we're off to a good start um <laughs> so let's talk about the grizzlies so yeah. they have uh, had a very busy summer i think that's safe to say so i'll kind of hit the highlights last season they were 33 and 49 which was 12th place in the west but since then they've drafted uh, a couple i guess okay players one you might have heard of john morant as well as a guy that Thunder fans were really hoping might end up in an OKC uniform, Brandon Clark. They also added Josh Jackson, Tyus Jones, Solomon Hill, Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen, Andre Iguodala, among others. Meanwhile, on the flip side, they lost Mike Conley, Avery Bradley, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, Chandler Parsons, Tyler Zeller, Justin Holiday, and Joakim Noah. So it's safe to say the uh, the team's going to look a lot different this year, but it's not just the roster. It's also the front office. Uh, the GM, Chris Wallace, was demoted and replaced by a 30-year-old Zach Kleiman. And J.B. Bickerstaff was fired and replaced by 34-year-old Taylor Jenkins. Heading into the season, Memphis is currently about $5 million under the tax line at $127 million. And next season's projections, uh, Westgate has their over-under set at 27.5, which is last place in the Western Conference. So that was a lot. Uh, and that was just the highlights. There was even more transactions than that. So give me your kind of overall thoughts on kind of the player movement that the Grizzlies had this summer. It was a bizarre, unique summer as a Grizzlies fan. The team had had so much continuity for so long. Like they kept all their free agents, both for, for the most part, there was a few we had to get rid of, or right. like a Courtney Lee you had to trade right. away, you know. But like the team had been so coherent for so long, and now the team has completely swapped out everyone. Uh, I don't think <laughs> the Dylan Brooks has the most tenure right. on the team, and he he you know he barely played last year because he was hurt. I want to say he's played a hundred games as a Memphis Grizzly. 
So wow. as far as the on-court product, it's just a, I don't know. I was talking with another Grizzlies writer, just asking him, do you feel like you understand this team at all? Because I think anyone who says they do is lying. <laughs> it's like, how many games, right. you know, I, I've had Tyus Jones. I picked him up in fantasy a couple times to get some steals. But, like, how many games have you really studied Tyus Jones? Right. You know, I've seen Jonas Valanciunas play, you know, 30 times. It's like this entire team, it's it's just like a, a big unknown. But it, it has been an exciting summer because – I guess in the past when the Grizzlies have been a very coherent team, they, they were always under the radar and yeah. or unsexy and nothing ever happened. Their off right. seasons, nothing ever happened. And we always were like, okay, the Rockets can make all their summer moves. That's cool. We'll just wait to the regular season and be pretty good again. But this year it is. It's like the whole, if you're a cap nerd aficionado or if you really love the player movement chess if that's what really gets you going this has been the summer and it's been <laughs> fun right. it's been different you know having the dunked on who uh we call the dunked on hive mind on fast break breakfast <laughs> the people who just like hated everything the grizzlies yes. did for a decade and now they're like oh what a wonderful summer right and so yeah it had but it has been it's been fun it's been a fun twist uh, embracing that the grizzlies are going to be bad where other years d they were denying that the Grizzlies were going to yes. be bad the last couple of years. Hey, as Thunder fans, we can wholeheartedly relate to that. Yeah, so y'all are in a weirder <laughs> boat because y'all yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know if we have time to get into what <laughs> you have going on. It's interesting. Well, we, have, we have plenty of podcasts dedicated to that. <laughs> okay, good. Well, like, so it's fun. So, yeah, I mean, it has been fun. The Grizzlies have been in the news a lot. I don't remember what your question was other than talk about the summer. It's been well, a lot did, of movement, a lot of excitement. So outside of uh, Ja Morant, because obviously everybody's excited to see Ja, is there a player that you are maybe most excited to see in a Grizzly uniform? I mean, it, yeah, the answer so is Ja there because he's the whole future of the, t of the team. Like if he's bad, the rebuild is stuck. It's just like that. <laughs> right. Just like the entire yeah. summer of awesomeness. It's like, oh, this guy stinks. We're now stuck with him for a couple years, and I don't know what you do, you know happens. If he's good, they're like, all right, we have Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. We're set to, to be good yep. in a couple years. We can build. Uh, b besides him, uh, I guess like – D'Anthony Melton is the one that's like, I guess okay. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. hopping on that, that hipster train. I like, like all right, he, you know, high steal rate, high block rate. Maybe he's supposed to be able to shoot really long wingspan. He seems fun on a rebuilding team. Let's give him some playing time. But, but you know, so that's one. And then just big picture, it's like the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas and Jared Jackson Jr. I think played two games together last year before yeah. Jared Jackson Jr. got hurt. Like, uh, I want to see Tyus Jones. I want to see Kyle Anderson play more with Jaron Jackson Jr. If Kyle Anderson's healthy, I loved that combo last year. But the whole team is new. So, yeah. It, it, I, for me, I guess I, I will final answer uh, John Conchar. Give me, <laughs> give me that two-way player. That's perfect. If he can become a three-point shooter, oh, man. We got to a Jared Dudley <laughs> Brian Cardinal for the new millennia. Oh, that's awesome. What about what about on the flip side? Players you lost. Are there any anybody that kind of you wish uh, the Grizzlies had retained or anybody that you lost that gives you a little bit of concern? Oh, man. I mean, if we're not including Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol. Right. <laughs> no. I mean, the Grizzlies currently have like five people I'm also prepared to get rid of. Like, it's a, it's a, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. such a weird thing because I guess the, the common question is like, the Grizzlies have 16 guaranteed contracts. Like, who will they cut? It's like, who cares? There's like, right. you could, so many <laughs> people we don't need on this team right now. Yeah. Um, I, 
I guess a weird one is is maybe CJ Miles. Like okay. the, the CJ Miles for Dwight Howard trade yeah. saved the team, I think two million dollars, and then buying out Dwight Howard saved them another two million dollars. So it moved them four million dollars, I think, away from the luxury tax line. Which I don't know if that matters at all. I don't get that money. <laughs> that's it's not the kind of stuff that fans <laughs> get excited right. I don't. About. I don't know <laughs> if. You know, if the team does use that that flexibility to take in some more money, or, or uh, you know, so they can trade away some of these guys, some of these huge contracts that we have and don't need, if they use that space to bring in someone, okay, that's right. cool. Um, if they don't, I will I will then say, all right, I kind of wish C.J. Miles was on this team just to be yeah. like a locker room leader. It's such a young team, and I don't know if it's just like sports talking head like radio cliche of like you, you had this young impressionable roster uh jaws 20 and, and jjj is 19 and all the other young guys bunch of guys under 25 it seems good to have a, a cj miles type in the locker room yeah you know to set an example uh they don't have a lot of those those old vets there so i guess you know if i had to pick someone who got traded away that would be him because everyone okay. else who got traded away. I mean, you want me to pick Chandler Parsons or, or Javon Carter? Those guys <laughs> I mean, were terrible. You do you. Terrible. I mean, <laughs> Javon Carter has a lot of fans in Memphis, I guess, just because he's like a scrappy young guy. Yeah. But I thought he was exceptionally outlier bad. So I think it's just because he looks like Samuel L. Jackson and Black Snake Moon. Oh, he kind of. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, you hit, you hit on youth of the roster a little bit. So let's talk about the front office as well, because I think there's an interesting storyline there. So first, you've got Zach Kleiman coming in as the EVP of basketball operations, who is a, a kind of a 30-year-old wonderkin with a law degree. What do you know about him, and what do you kind of expect about him in the front office for the Grizz? I don't know. I mean, I think he's obviously young. It does seem like this is the thought experiment, what the Grizzlies are doing right now is like what would happen if NBA Reddit took over an NBA basketball team? <laughs> because it really is like, hey, let's just bring in all these like quote unquote smart guys. Like all these guys have like Ivy League or right. Duke, you know, in their uh, in their CVs, and they don't have NBA experience. Like they're not basketball players. Uh, Taylor Jenkins, the coach, he's I think he's the only. Uh, Chris Harrington from uh, the Daily Memphian has this like fact. I think it's I think it's Taylor Jenkins is the only NBA head coach without college basketball playing experience. Interesting. So so there is no basketball experience in right. like the front office. Like the 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 Jason Wexler, who's the president of the Grizzlies, he's just like an Ivy League kid or maybe Virginia. I can't remember. Like he's just like a a guy who came up through business, and then you have all these like young lawyer type guys. I mean, I mean, Kleiman got his start in the NBA through a like a family connection, right? Where he started off in the Spurs, like he got an internship with the Spurs through a family connection. So it's a very like uh, I don't know, non-traditional or yeah. a more modern. Like, all right, these are the quote-unquote smartest guys in the room. Right. We're gonna put them in charge. They're gonna make all their analytic moves. They're gonna trade away guys for assets. We're gonna see what happens, and, and then. If, you know, is will there ever be any friction if things don't go well? If people who have come up th in a different way, uh, you know, like do they push against it? Like you have like Tayshon Prince, who's high in the um, basketball yeah. decision-making role for the Grizzlies, so he's like a guy for the playing background. But mm. there's not many of them, and even on the whole, the the head coaching tree, there's no one who I guess would push against it. Like they've 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 gone hardcore on this. 
maybe like get everyone on the same page. Like we all believe in the same stuff and maybe that's good in, in a business way. Uh, and if it works out, maybe we'll see more things like it, but I don't know what you can make of it. It's just, it's like young guys are calling the shots. I don't, I don't know much about them. I don't know anyone who does know much about them <laughs> and, 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 and we'll see if they can, you know, guide this rebuild. They got lucky with the yeah. Jared Jackson jr. And the yeah. John Morant lottery luck. So if it works out, you yeah, know, great. Yeah, it's fascinating. It, it's almost like the the kind of logical next step for the analytics revolution is gravitating towards these guys that, you know, maybe playing experience isn't as useful as kind of the more traditional business or numbers mindset. And it, it definitely seems like the Grizzlies have kind of swung in that direction. Yeah. So what about during the season? Uh, you mentioned there's a bunch of kind of dead weight in your mind on the roster. Do you expect there to be more moves with the roster throughout the season? Or do you think they'll kind of stay quiet with who they've got and kind of see where it goes? My understanding would be they're going to spend the whole season looking for more moves or, or just keeping their ear open mm-hmm. like, like any team would. But like, like Jay Crowder is going to get traded once before the deadline it would be it'd be very weird if he did not get traded for the deadline i've been told they've already turned down like maybe two second round picks for him so Mm. they want him to be on the team to to soak up some minutes to play a lot but i would consider it a certainty that you know if that offer is still there at the trade deadline he's going to get moved Beyond that, I, I like trying to envision gigantic trades using all their <laughs> expiring because they have like they have sixty million dollars, I think, right. in, in expiring salaries on guys you don't even care about. Like like Jay Crowder is the only one who's probably going to play. Um, you know, you have the Igadala deal sitting there. I, I can't come up with any fake trades that seem like they're going to happen. I think the <laughs> I think the Nuggets should do it. I, I'm like pushing the Nuggets mm, and Nuggets that riders because I mean he he would start for them. And yeah. I'm like, give us, give us Malik Beasley. We might even yeah. throw in a second round pick. You know, give us Malik Beasley and either Mason Plumley or Will Barton. We'll match the salary. You don't need Mason Plumley anymore. Like in this <laughs> NBA, they have your guy right. Jerry and Grant, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Um. You know, like they they don't need him. So anyway, like, but any other trades don't make sense to me for Iguodala. I don't know how how desperate you guys are to get rid of like. Gallinari or Chris Paul. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. It's like we can make a blockbuster deal, but Let's I don't know what it. anyone is looking <laughs> for in these deals. I, for I don't sure. see any. I tried to put, I put together some fake trades that were tongue in cheek. And it's like, if we want Nick Batum, we could probably have him. Yeah. You know, his salary goes into next year. Uh, you know, there's no other, there's like, we could take on a, a max salary guy, but I don't know anyone who's looking to dump a max salary sure. guy. I don't want John Wall's contract. I don't think I want. Pretty sure I don't want Chris Paul's contract. Uh, Are you sure? No, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, if it's straight up, I, I mean, I, I would entertain it. I would entertain yeah. it. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I don't think anyone wants Chris Paul's max contract, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of what you expect out of the season. Is there anybody that you think's really kind of primed for a breakout year? Um, I. I no, I think if you're playing fantasy, <laughs> if you're playing fantasy basketball, like I think Jonas Valanciunas will get a lot of shots. That'd be my guess. Mm-hmm. But we're all just guessing. We don't know, we don't know what this team's sure. gonna look like. They don't really have a shooting guard. Like I guess Dylan Brooks and Dylan Brooks has like the biggest opportunity, and it's gonna be a big season for him. So yeah. like it seems like he would get all the minutes he can handle. Um, I'm interested to see Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson. 
what they can do if they're healthy and ready to contribute. Maybe they could have breakout years. I mean, the obvious one is Jaron Jackson Jr. and yep. John Morant. So we're like, what do those For guys sure. do? Is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to go to? Is he going to follow the trajectory? of Chris Bosch or a Kevin Garnett and become like an all-star? Is it going to be a little slower? Maybe he just averages 14 points, you know, or something again. Cause he, so that's going to be like league wide. That'll be the guy everyone's looking at. The Grizzlies fans are looking at are the two young guys yep. beyond that. No, I don't think anyone on the roster is going to necessarily have the breakout, but we'll be watching, you know, beyond the two guys of Ja and Jaron. We're watching Dylan Brooks. What can he do? Yep. The guy like D'Anthony Melton, I said earlier, what can he do? Um, those are w- what we'll be keeping our eyes on. But I, don't, I guess break out the obvious is Jaron Jackson Jr. Everyone else is veterans where it's like, yeah, yep. we're, just, we're just soaking up minutes, soaking up points, waiting for the 2020 offseason. <laughs> right. Uh, what do you think, you know, fast forward to the end of next season, if you looked back on it, what would it take for this to be a quote-unquote successful season for the Grizzlies? I think finding out what you have in Dylan Brooks, in D'Anthony Melton, even in Grayson Allen, in mm-hmm. Bruno Caboclo, finding out what you have in those auxiliary pieces and getting some clarity about Ja Morant, knowing if he's going to be your point guard of the future. Yeah. So that is, that's the season. If you can acquire any more assets using the salary cap space you might have or the expiring contracts you have that's fine to do i don't think you want to jeopardize your cap space for 2020 and 2021 when you're under the scenario that ja and jaron are both good i think you want to keep that completely open so maybe you won't do it i think the Cavs did last year where they took on a lot of future salary Mm -hmm. um so i think you find out what you have in your young core you find out if john morant's your guy of the future those are the goals for the season if you do that i think the grizzlies are going to be at least sitting in a good space to know where they have to go so i mentioned earlier that vegas has the grizzlies over under number at 27 and a half which is last place in the west uh so my question to you is are you taking the over or the under i think you got to take the under Tyus Jones, okay. Tyus Jones gets a eight hundred thousand dollar bonus if they win thirty three games. <laughs> okay. So he's going to be trying real hard. <laughs> I, I don't understand an argument for the Grizzlies not being in last place. Yeah, I mean, obviously things can happen where other teams tank it out even harder, and it's going to be strange for this team that they they owe their pick to Boston, which uh, top six protected. So to be to keep your top six pick guaranteed, you have to be this one of the worst two records. Right, it's going to be hard to guarantee yourself that I think, especially with the teams in the East, with like the Wizards and yeah, maybe it's the Cavs, the Hornets. Um, I don't. It, it seems hard to guarantee yourself that bad pick. I think the Grizzlies are, are want to build, um, winning culture, whatever that means. I think they're going to be trying kind of hard. If if John Morant's bad. They will be so bad that it won't matter. <laughs> but if John Mar- if John Morant's good and then Jaron Jackson Jr. is good, they have enough veterans, enough decent players. They should be a, they should be a good defensive team almost regardless. Yeah, like they were a decent. I guess the team switched over so much. I was gonna say they were a de- decent defensive team last year, even though yeah. it didn't really feel like it. 
Sure. I think they were ninth in the NBA in defensive rating. Yeah, they had they had some very good stretches. That's right. For sure. So you had you you can make a lot of lineups with the guys who are there right now that should be really hard to score against. Tyus Jones, uh, Kyle Anderson, Bruno Caboclo, yep. DeAnthony Melton, uh, Brandon Clark, who we stole from you guys on draft night. Right. Um, Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. <laughs> I mean that that front court, like a Jaron Jackson Jr. Brandon Clark front court. Yeah, I just I, I feel bad. I I I briefly forgot about Brandon Clark. He's also he's also <laughs> like the guy I'm just dying to see the most. So he much was excitement awesome in summer league. Yeah, so much excitement in summer league. He popped athletically so much yep. that it seems like that's just going to automatically transmate translate. The Grizzlies have never had dunkers. I mean, we had like Stromas <laughs> Swift. We had James Johnson for three months. The Grizzlies uh. have have like ten alley oops. In like their last ten years, they don't ever throw alley oops, so it's going to be a fun year with John Morant with Brandon yeah, Clark. That should change quite. So a that bit. that should change a lot. So so anyway, those even of those combos lineup combos just stink on offense. They should be good on defense. So I think this team will be competitive and will probably be right at that twenty seven and a half, uh-huh. you know, twenty seven twenty eight wins. But I think when it gets to the end of the season, they will probably tank it out again after Jay Crowder's traded. After yeah, I mean. I don't think Josh Jackson is going to be on the team very long. But if Josh Jackson yep. is still around, maybe he gets all the PT he wants after a Jake Crowder <laughs> trade. <laughs> yeah. And I think they will tank it out again at the end of the season to ideally, I, I guess you want to keep, you think you're going to be bad this year. I guess the calculus could change if if you lose confidence in John Morant already in year sure. one. But in my mind, when I'm looking to the future and I'm starting to dream about the Grizzlies being good again, I think, all right, John Morant looks like he's bare minimum a Jeff Teague-ish starter. So he can be, if he's a starter, let's get one more top five pick to add to those two guys, and then we'll attack free agency yeah. hard in, in 2021. Maybe we maybe we throw a, a max restricted offer sheet at like a Buddy Heald and, and, yeah. and, and bring him in on, on an overpay and then the team is going to be good in like 2021, yeah, that would be a, That would be a fun squad. Yeah, so that's, that's the fantasy. <laughs> so before we go, uh, why don't you hit us with three predictions for your team this year? They can be individual-related, team-related, wherever you want to go with three, these, but three, three predictions for the 2019-20 season. Okay, it's hard. Um, it is hard. <laughs> I will say they will finish 29th. In offensive rating, oh, one ahead of the Charlotte Hornets, <laughs> they will. Th- this is, I guess, this. Well, I guess this could be part of number one. They will finish last in the NBA in made field goals for the third consecutive season. <laughs> I I just read that last night. That yeah, they had done that two years in a row. That's that's so disheartening. I was seeing the ball go through the basket is probably the best part about cheering for a basketball team. <laughs> I mean, it's up there. And I was like, this is just, this is like living with like low testosterone or something. Like I haven't had this surge. It's it's been two years. It's been three years since we weren't last in the NBA of watching the ball go through the basket. So, all right. Another, another, (laughs) another prediction. Oh man. Maybe here's one. This might be a dream of mine. Dylan Brooks gets traded. Dylan, Dylan Brooks trade. He's he's my sweetener. He's my sweetener. Okay. Whenever I'm coming up with trades, when I'm trying yeah. to, when I'm trying to pry a, a Malik Beasley or a Wancho Hernan Gomez from a team, <laughs> like we'll match salary. And hey, you can have Dylan Brooks. You can have Dylan Brooks. He's a, he's a good young guy. Um, so I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. Like maybe he gets traded. I like that. And then 
third third prediction. Let's get spicy. Let's give, get, us, give us a hot take. Let's get spicy. Uh, Brandon Clark, NBA Rookie of the Year. Ooh, now that I like. I like that a lot. And uh, if that happens, you better try and find me at Summer League Las Vegas because I will be rich because I bet yes. it. I bet it at 300 to 1. So, that's incredible. Uh, th- that's that. Yeah, that'll be my spicy prediction. I like it. You heard it here for first. Uh, Brandon Clark, Rookie of the Year. Well, thanks so much, Keith. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Everybody go check out Keith on Twitter at Keith Parrish. More importantly, go check out Fast Break Breakfast. If you're a Grizzlies fan or not, I recommend them to anybody that wants to keep up with the NBA. They are highly entertaining and one of my favorite listens as far as NBA podcasts go. Hey, another shout out to Keith Parrish and the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. Uh, for coming on and previewing the Memphis Grizzlies. Maybe won't be a great team next year, but they've got some pieces there that it's going to make that team really interesting moving forward. Uh, and now, another read from our sponsors. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable, quote, rubbing some dirt on it than actually seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. You just go to getroman.com slash bluewire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. It's basically like Amazon Prime, but for ED med. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's something that's really important and needs to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to getsroman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. And now, let's patch you over to our interview with Shamit Dua, who is from the In the Know podcast to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. All right, so we're back. Uh, this is Jacob, and I am joined by Shamit Dua, uh, who writes for the Bourbon Street Shots, and he's also a co-host of the In the Know podcast covering the Pelicans. Shamit, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Really enjoying my weekend and excited to actually talk basketball in the doldrums of this offseason. Yeah, we're, we're getting close, man. I think, uh, at least for us here in Oklahoma City, um, the – the media day is like three weeks away and then camp starts. So it's almost here. Uh, thank God. So just so you guys know, you can find Schmidt's work, um, at bourbon street shots. Uh, he writes there also the in the know podcast. Uh, they're part of the blue wire podcast family. So you can find them there. You can also find them pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And Schmidt himself is on Twitter at fear the Brown. Uh, So make sure you go follow him because the Pelicans are going to be a hell of a team to follow this year. They're going to be super exciting. And so to get all the ins and outs, make sure you go follow him. 
Uh, Schmidt, let's just jump right into this bad boy. So last season, the Pelicans end the year 33-49. and 49. Uh, That was good for 13th in the West. And it gave them, uh, I might be wrong on this, but in the, in the realm of about the ninth best odds to win the draft lottery. Is that correct? Yeah, so there was a three-way tie between Memphis, Dallas, and New Orleans. And the odds were flattened there. But yeah, I think that's, that's about right. Okay, so not great odds to win the lottery, but then obviously uh, we all know you guys won the lottery, uh, which is pretty incredible, right? That it's pretty awesome with with kind of all the shit that went on with New Orleans and the the Anthony Davis trade demand and and this and that and just kind of everything coming to a head, and then hiring David Griffin, and then to to land that number one pick. Uh, just it's kind of like this ray of of hope and and what had started to just be kind of this uh i don't know just this mess that just kept snowballing it seemed like so so end up with the first the first overall pick over the summer obviously davis gets traded um you guys bring in brandon ingram lonzo ball josh hart in a separate trade you bring in Derek favors uh also just the the massive amounts of draft picks uh, at draft night, uh, you guys pick up Zion Williamson, Jackson Hayes, and Nikhail Alexander-Walker, who's actually the cousin of now Thunder guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, signed J.J. Redick and Nicolo Melli. Is that how you say that guy's name? I think so. Okay. No, signed J.J. Redick, Nicolo Melli, and free agency. Uh, lose, obviously, Anthony Davis, Ian Clark, Darius Bertans. Ch- uh, is it Czech Diallo? Is that how you say his first name? Czech? Yeah, check or shake. Okay. okay. Uh, Solomon Hill, Stanley Johnson, Nikola Miritich, Alfred Payton, and Julius Randle. So there was a lot of roster turnover this year. Uh, I think people typically just think Anthony Davis, uh, the Anthony Davis trade, right? But there's actually a lot of roster turnover for the Pelicans this year. Uh, heading into next season, Darius Miller has an Achilles injury. He's supposed to be out until at least 2020, I believe. Does that sound correct? Yeah, they, they don't really want to put a timeline on it. They're optimistic it'll be soon. But, I mean, Achilles, you have to anticipate he misses the whole season. Yeah, a- a- Achilles is literally like maybe the worst injury in sports. Uh, it's worse than an ACL, worse than a meniscus. Uh, you know, it, it, it's probably the worst because nobody really comes back fully athletically from an Achilles tear. Um, but then front office, you guys hire, hire Trajan Langdon who is from Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And then also, uh, obviously, the adding David Griffin to staff, kind of the end of last season, uh, heading into the summer. Uh, salary cap, the Pelicans are $9 million, around $9 million over the cap, uh, but they're $14 million away from the tax. So they're nowhere close to being a, ta- being a tax team. And then for this coming season, Westgate has the Pelicans projected at 39 wins which would be good for 10th seed in the West. 39 wins is six wins more than last season. So, Shemit, let's just jump into to obviously the elephant in the room with the Pelicans, which is the Anthony Davis trade. Um, you know, there was a whole bunch of talk whenever that trade went down, or before that trade went down, that the Pelicans were, like, refusing to work with the Lakers. Uh, that deal wasn't going to happen. I think a lot of people actually thought it was more likely that a, a deal with Boston would get done around something with Jason Tatum. Uh, but then, lastly, that day comes where Woj announces 
that the trade has been done. And you guys basically robbed the Lakers of all of their future draft picks, plus their young guys. Um, now having months to to process that and to accept it and to understand what what all is there. How do you feel about the trade now? I think when you go back to when the trade request happened to where we are now, there's been a roller coaster of emotions that Pelicans fans have went through with the initial shock of, oh my gosh, my franchise player wants out. And then you're like, okay, I accept it. I don't blame him. It's been a rough seven seasons. He needs to go to a better team. But then it all played out in this public fashion with Anthony Davis not necessarily doing much to clean up his image. Um, with all of that, you know, you, you sure saw that that's all folks shirt. Uh, you saw him kind of like leave a game early right before All-Star break because of a finger injury or a shoulder injury, but then still play in the All-Star game. Um, along the way, there was a lot of things that happened that made Pelicans fans kind of question like, okay, like why is he taking all these steps to make himself look bad? And then it was aggravated by the fact that you're dealing with the Lakers who as a franchise have always been able to land these mega stars. And you're like, man, like I don't want to keep enabling this team, but eventually when it came down to it, they came through with the best trade package and it seems like Boston got a little trade shy after the whole Kyrie situation and they didn't realize that, you know, Kyrie is leaving, going to Brooklyn. And it makes sense for them not to mortgage their whole future on Davis, who Rich Paul was saying that he is very much going to be a rental. And for one year of Davis, is it worth giving up Tatum, Brown, the farm of picks? I see it from their perspective as, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not worth it. But the Lakers, knowing that they have LeBron, they were like, okay, let's let's go all in on this championship. Let's do what it takes to get a player of Davis's caliber. And I think it ended up being a good trade for both sides. Nice. So obviously one of the, the big things that, that comes out of this is you, you go through, you wade through basically all the bullshit of that, and then draft lottery night comes up, and that ESPN does their big like half-hour show that it's basically just like a time filler for them to finally like – bust out the ping pong balls and, and flip up those cards with the, the team's logos on them. And so what is kind of the, the overall feeling in new Orleans uh, feeling of the fan base and really personally for you feelings, whenever uh, that number two is flipped over and you see it's not new Orleans. And so you guys get the number one overall pick, which uh, I don't care what anybody wants to say. Oh, we went through the process. We worked out of these guys. It was from the moment that card was flipped over. It was Zion. Right, like everybody knew that it was going to be Zion. So, just kind of what what was the emotion and the feel whenever the the realization sets in that yes, we lost Anthony Davis, but we just got the number one pick and this kid that could be a generational talent. Oh, it was it was unbelievable. Like by that point, the Anthony Davis situation had kind of dragged on for so long. It was just like I just want to get this over with. So yeah. when it came to like the night of the draft lottery and they're going through the various teams and. They were up there showing the placards for, you know, Team X, Team Z. And then they go and pull up the Wizards, I think, at 9 or something like that. I forget where they pull up the Wizards. But I'm thinking, wait a minute. The Wizards have better odds than the Pelicans. What's going on? And it hit me. I was like, oh, crap. The Pelicans jumped up. The Pelicans jumped up. 
And it also meant Memphis jumped up because the Wizards, the Pelicans, and the um, Grizzlies had the same amount of odds. So it was bizarre. But they hit a commercial break, and you know there's four teams left. There's the Lakers, the Knicks, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans. And for me, that was good enough. A top four pick, great, because you're going to get, you know, either Zion Williamson, John Morant, R.J. Barrett. And I, for me, the fourth guy was Jarrett Culver. I was really high on Jarrett Culver, but I think – there's other players to be argued for as well. But in any case, you have a top five pick, which is a way better position to be in than you kind of were sitting with the seven, eight, ninth, you know, odds, if, especially if another team jumped up. And then the, the fourth pick comes up, and it's the Lakers. And I was like, great. Lakers didn't get the first pick. Even if they got the first pick, then, you know, the trade discussions would have centered around trading Davis for the first pick. Yeah. And, and perhaps the return wouldn't have been – as high as, as it was this year, you know. Um, the Knicks got the third pick, which was also, I think, important because I think the Pelicans were engaged in trade discussions with the Knicks, but they didn't quite have the assets to get the deal done. But when there was two picks left, I was like, holy crap, it's it's either going to be Zion or John Morant. Like, there's no bad option here for a team that was slated to, to pick seventh, you know. And then the Grizzlies card comes off, and I'm losing my mind. I'm in my home office, screaming at the TV, my roommate's down the hall wondering what is going on. My dog's freaking out because he doesn't know why I'm screaming. But yeah, it was it was unreal. And uh, I think you know, like the moment the pick came up, it's it, it was going to be Zion. Like there is no question uh, for any other player. And and so and you kind of touched on it a little bit there. The fact that New Orleans, I think this kind of gets lost sometimes. The fact that New Orleans landed their number one pick completely changed the leverage for the Anthony Davis trade. Because like you said, if the Lakers get that number one pick, which it just kind to me, it just kind of felt like that was going to happen. Like, right. you know, that I'm not jumping into like conspiracy theories and stuff here, but that's just kind of what it felt like. But for the, the Pelicans to land that pick, it, it switched the leverage of those trade talks. Because like you said, if the Lakers get picked number one, the the trade talk is based around pick number one for Anthony Davis, right? And so because the Lakers don't get pick number one, the Pelicans say, oh, you don't have as much leg to stand on now in these conversations. You have to give up more. And so really it was like a double whammy. You know, you, you get the number one pick. You don't have to trade for it, which means you get more stuff in the AD trade. And and I think right. sometimes that goes overlooked. Right, and, and the Lakers' own pick gets better. So where if you had completed the trade at the deadline, you know, that, that pick, there's a very little chance that it was jumping up to four, especially with Dave. Like, the Lakers probably would have made a playoff push with Davis and LeBron on the lot roster had the trade been done early February. And so I think that also kind of gets overlooked where the Pelicans waiting it out allowed them to better their odds. Um, you know, every every game counts. Yeah, it was a very small chance they jump up in the first place, but if they ended up getting back, you know, Ingram and Lonzo and all like the whole roster that the Lakers offered, perhaps they finish a few positions away from where they finished in actuality and they don't end up having the necessary odds for jumping to the number one pick. So the way it played out could not have been more perfect for the Pelicans. You could not have drawn it up better. And then the Pelicans ended up indeed getting that fourth pick from the Lakers in the subsequent trade. Yep. And then obviously that, that number four gets moved to Atlanta. And so that, that's what I want to talk about next is the Pelicans draft. Um, 
we all kind of know about Zion, right? He's he's the talk of the NBA going into this season. But I want to get your opinions on the two other rookies that the Pelicans are bringing in, both Jackson Hayes, a big man from Texas, and then Nikhail Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech. What are your thoughts on those two guys so far after – you know, after the Pelicans draft them, you probably go back and watch like some tape of them. You see them in summer league. You kind of start to get a feel for them. What are your your thoughts about those two guys going into the season? So I was very high on Jackson from the get go. He was a guy that I was looking at when the Pelicans were initially slated to pick in that seven, eight, nine range, and I was like, okay, Jackson wouldn't be a bad pick. Um, I, I like what he brings to the table from an athletic standpoint, from a size standpoint, and I think. He's a type of player you could really mold into anything. People kind of pigeonhole him into this rim running big, but I think there's potential for him to be so much more because from a basketball standpoint, he's basically a child. He didn't play significant minutes until his senior year of high school, and then he made this huge jump uh, when he went to Texas um, in terms of how he plays, and I think he showcased even more in summer league. And so both of those rookies, Jackson and Nikhil, like really kind of made headlines in summer league with Jackson having all those crazy dunks and Nikhil um, like leading the league in scoring or something like that and, and having great passes. I honestly didn't expect Nikhil Alexander Walker to be that good. Um, I'm still not sure how much of that summer league was just like a crazy hot streak for him, but um, I was very. I walked away very impressed with the way he played and the amount of composure he had. Jackson, um, super excited about that pick. I think anal- like a lot of analytic models had him um, as a top five pick, and there's. I think it was the ESPN model had him as uh, the guy behind Zion who has the highest chance of making an All Star game in his career, which is oh interesting. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool to watch that. I mean, in college, he had like a 70% field goal percentage, and it wasn't all dunks. He, he, was, he was just really good at finishing at the rim. Um, he has a really good block rate. He gets to the free throw line a ton, but he has a, a long way to go from a body development standpoint. I mean, he's like seven foot and probably 200 pounds soaking wet. He just needs to put on a lot of uh, muscle. And I think he can get there because his father played – uh, tight end um, for the Bengals, I believe, um, some NFL team. And you like go back and look at the pictures of his father, and the dude's like, absolutely jacked. And you're like, okay, he's got good genes. He can, yeah, yeah. He can definitely put on the weight. But I think having Zion at number one allowed you to take a chance at a guy like Jackson and then take a chance at a guy like Nikhil later on because you, already, you, know, you, you have your star player. You have that one pick that you hope is – you know, really going to develop into a franchise player. And you could kind of take shots with like the next pick um, to, to see what they turn into. Definitely, definitely. So speaking of the, the rookies on the roster, I just want to talk about the roster as a whole real quick, uh, both both for purposes of this preview podcast, but also just kind of personal curiosity because I feel like as somebody who covers Oklahoma City, they're kind of in the same boat. The thought was that, I think for a lot of NBA fans, whenever the Pelicans traded Anthony Davis, they would probably suck for a while. They would drop down uh, and have to rebuild through the draft, through trades, and, and they would hit rock bottom and then start to climb their way up. 
but that doesn't look to be the case. I mean, Drew Holiday's still around. J.J. Redick is now in town. Uh, Derek Favors comes in, who's a very quality NBA player. Uh, the, the kids from the Lakers, right? Brandon Ingram has proved that he's a pretty good player. Josh Hart's proved that he's a pretty good player. Uh, ball's still kind of out there. That's kind of ironic. The ball is still out in the court for Lonzo Ball. Um, but but there, there's this collection, this interesting blend of of quality vets mixed with really young guys that are supposed to be the future where the Pelicans can maybe still be building for the future while not completely bottoming out now. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that and how you think just the team is going to fare overall next season with that interesting blend of, of vets and young guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the areas that the front office really wanted to make sure they, they secure is creating a winning culture and uh, environment for these young players. Because you look at the Lakers young players, right? They they haven't made the playoffs yet. And and they've kind of like known losing since they've entered the NBA. You don't want that environment to be the environment Zion walks into, Jackson walks into, and, and Nikhil walks into. So you have these steady vets who have contributed at high levels throughout their careers with, with JJ and Derek and Drew. And, and you want them to set examples of, hey, we're a team that's going to go out there and compete every single night. And we're gonna, we have these aspirations of, of making the playoffs and, and being successful. And we expect you guys to buy into those aspirations. But not only that, also contribute. And, and we know you can do it and kind of create this environment in a way that it's also doesn't carry the same pressure that it did in L.A. where you have LeBron. And it's like playoffs aren't enough. You have to be a championship caliber team, you know. Um, where in this case, they're really trying to create an organic situations where uh, a guy like Zion can walk into a team and the pressure isn't on him to carry the whole franchise. He has a lot of help and he can grow into the type of player that will eventually carry a franchise, but it's not day one, hey, you need to go be the next LeBron. Yeah, you're not throwing him to the Wolves. Right. Right, and, and I think there's ample examples throughout the league of that happening and uh, the the results being very questionable, right? Like, so we're doing this preview podcast for the Pelicans, but last weekend I did one for Phoenix, and it feels like very much that was like Devin Booker's situation, right? He he's brought in and he's this great player, but there's no structure, there's no winning culture around him, and so he's kind of just sat there and like brewed in this cesspool of of garbage for forever. And so I definitely get that idea of not throwing him to the wolves early, but instead letting him grow organically into what you want uh, in a culture that that kind of facilitates that, right? Exactly. And, and and you're right. Your Phoenix is a good example of that. I think Minnesota could be an example of yeah, that. Yeah, that, that was the other team I was thinking of. Right. And I think it's probably not exactly fair to say, but I think you can look back at the early process Sixers and, and you look at guys like, like Nerlens and perhaps Jaleel who may have been more successful in, in other environments had they not gone through that. But I, I definitely think that it affected them uh, maybe a little bit more off the court because when you're on a team that wins, I think, what was it? Like they went, they won nine games that one year. Or was it 11 games? I yeah. mean, that's, that's miserable. Yeah. And, and, then, and, 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 the, and then the thing becomes like, what kind of habit, habits are you building? You know, what right. habits are you building? What scenarios are you putting these very impressionable, like 19 and 20 year old kids in? Right. You know, so. All right. Well, hey, let's revisit 
Um, back at, at the beginning of this interview, we listed the Westgate odds for the Pelicans this year, which was 39 wins and 10th place in the Western Conference. So I want two separate over-unders from you. The first one on the wins, the second one on the position in the West. Okay. So I will take the over on the wins. Um, I'm optimistic about this group of players. I think last year when you look at the Pelicans, they had an above-average offense and a below-average defense. I still think that they can have an above-average offense despite losing firepower such as Davis and, and Randall, um, mostly because the system is going to be one that generates a lot of easy buckets in transition. And I think they have the personnel to where if they just go out there and run hard enough, they'll get into that 12th best offense, 13th best offense slot or so. Um, they'll probably have trouble if they make the playoffs and defenses tighten up because they don't necessarily have great floor spacers uh, outside of guys like J.J. Redick. Um, but I think over the course of the regular season, um, they could be that try-hard team that just runs its way into an above-average offense. Um, and I think defensively, they just have much better personnel than they did last year, which is kind of wild to say when you lose a guy of Davis's caliber. Yeah. But, I mean, I think you have to understand how poor of a defender Julius Randle was, how difficult it is to put together a, a, an above-average defense without perimeter defenders. I mean, the Pelicans are trotting out um, Etwan Moore at small forward. And and uh, like Solomon Hill coming off a hamstring injury got minutes. Darius Miller isn't fantastic. Drew, every single night, was taking the best opponent player. And Drew's a fantastic defender, but there was no resistance outside of Drew on the perimeter. None. And I'm optimistic this year with a guy like Lonzo and someone that actually has size, um, like Brandon Ingram uh, at the three, and then obviously Zion being athletic as he is, uh, showing promise and, and, and Derek Favors, that the Pelicans will have something better than the 23rd best defense that they had last year. Um, I'm hoping it's, it's in that average range, 15 to 17 or so. And if they can manage to do that and have an above-average offense, I think they will meet the over on the win totals. Okay, very good. So, well, I won't ask you this yet because – I'll wait to see if you mention it. And uh, now I want you to, to throw out three predictions that you have for the Pelicans this season. Uh, they can be hot takes. They can just be like lukewarm takes. They can be player-based. They can be team-based. But give me three things that you ha think happen for the Pelicans this season. Okay. I think Drew Holiday makes the all-star team. That's a good one. I think he, he's deserved it for a few years now. Yeah, it's just so tough in the West yeah. with, with all those guards. But I think yeah, this is the year. Yeah, it, you mentioned how tough it is in the West. I mean, with Portland and Houston, you might already have all the backcourt players for the All-Star game. You right. Know? Like, it's it's overwhelming how, how many guards there are in the West. or how many. And that's not even counting guys like Steph. and, and <laughs> Exactly. Right. Clay, Clay won't get one this year because of the injury, but... You know, we we just mentioned Devin Booker, who who is really good. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a bloodbath. But okay, so so Drew to the All Star game. Yeah, I'm shipping Drew to the All Star game. I I'll say Zion doesn't win Rookie of the Year. Oh, that almost seems like a hot take at this point to, because, to pick him to not win that award. Because I don't think he'll have the typical high usage young player on a bad team so like i don't think he'll put up the counting stats necessary 
for like you know someone like rj probably is going to get a lot more shots someone like jaws probably going to get a lot more shots because i think those teams are going to be significantly worse yeah um, that's fair than the pelicans and i think when you look at the pecking order um at best i think he's going to start off as the third best option and if he's really good you know he'll progress more but i i think he drew's decidedly ahead of him offensively uh, i think brandon ingram's probably going to get more offensive looks than he is to start off with and then you still have guys like JJ and um, even even Derek Favors who are, who are going to need to put up shots and, and, and get touches. So I think he's going to be analytically very good, and I think you're going to see all the promise. But I don't think he'll have the counting stats to win Rookie of the Year. Touche. All right. I, th- I think that's fair. All right. So number three. Number three. Who? This is a tough one. I say... Lonzo Ball has a bounce back year and is one of the finalists for most improved. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. I was curious if you're going to go with this, and since you did it, I'm going to ask now. Do you think the Pelicans do make the playoffs this season in a crazy West? You know, this goes back to the the positioning in the West question that I didn't get to. Uh, I think 10th is a good place to put them at. I have them at 9th or 10th right now because I can't confidently say they're better than Portland, better than San Antonio. And I think the Kings are looking uh, to take another step this year. So if the Kings finish ninth, you know, the Pelicans at 10th, there is something I could see happening. I think if everything breaks right and the, and the Lakers young players take the step forward that they need to, um, the Pelicans make the playoffs, but it, it requires a lot of internal growth and the players doing things that they haven't done consistently before. So I'm going to lean no, but it's going to be close. All right. I like it. Well, hey, man, thank you again so much for coming on and talking Pelicans basketball with us. Um, This this is one of the teams that I'm looking forward to most this next season. Uh, Just uh, as a team that I don't cover, that I can just sit back and, like, objectively just enjoy Uh, It's going to be a blast. So make sure you guys um, check out Bourbon Street Shots at Bourbon Street Shots on Twitter. Uh, You can also find the In the Know podcast really anywhere you listen to podcasts uh, and on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, which is at bluewirepods.com. Shaman, thank you again so much for coming on with us, man. We really appreciate you. I appreciate you guys. This was a lot of fun. All right. Take it easy, man. Hey, just one more time, shout out to Schmidt for coming on and talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. Going to be a blast to watch that team this year, especially with Zion Williamson. Uh, And so just to move you guys straight along, let's jump over to our last interview of the day, which is with Jack Borman of Dunking with Wolves to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves upcoming season. All right, guys, we're now joined by Jack Borman of Dunking with Wolves. He covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. You can follow him on Twitter at JRBorman13. Jack, how you doing? I'm great, Nick. How are you? Doing well. It's uh, kind of a slow time in the NBA. I know we have some NFL football uh, finally rolling up to us. I know you're a, a Vikings guy. I'm a Cowboys guy here, so... That'll kind of keep us keep us honest until the NBA season starts. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, if they both play like they did yesterday, uh, you know, we'll we'll be in for be in for a fun season and see each other down the road potentially. Absolutely. So, 
Uh, just looking at the Wolves last season, uh, kind of just give us an overview on, you know, how their season went, um, you know, their record, how they finished in the division, and kind of just all the drama surrounding Jimmy Butler and, and just the 2018-19 the season overall. Yeah, so so last year, uh, the Timberwolves, you know, 11th in the West, I won 36 and 46, uh, and last, last in that brutal Northwest division um, in which, you know, the other four teams made the playoffs. Um, and so... So obviously the season was kind of kind of split into two two parts, um, and how is kind of how I see it. Uh, it was the Tib the, the, Tib, the Tibbs era uh, Wolves for the first part of the year. They went 19 and 21 with Tibbs, um, and obviously just jumping right into it had the Jimmy Butler fiasco. Um, you know the infamous "You can't win without me" practice on October 10th. Uh, you know Jimmy, really prideful guy. You know talked a lot about how how he hated you know grown people people telling him what to do. Um, as a grown man, um, which obviously, you know, kind of struck a chord with with a lot of the a lot of the local Minneapolis media. Um, but but in that practice, obviously, uh, he took Tyus Jones, uh, former former Bulls teammate Luol Deng, and some other third stringers into practice that day, and and just really took it to took it to the starters and, and verbally was challenging guys like Kat and, and Andrew Wiggins um, and, and ended up beating, beating the starters actually in a five on five game um, in, in practice that day. Um, and then infam infamously looked up at, at the GM's, GM's office, Scott Layden, and just said, you can't win without me and that, and that you need me. And, and, you know, coincidentally, Rachel Nichols of uh, ESPN had just happened to be in Minneapolis that day. <laughs> um, and, and Jimmy Butler, you know, taped an interview with her and, you know, just talked about, you know, how, you know, he didn't have a didn't have a whole lot of hard feelings for the Wolves, but but just wanted to see more out of guys like Cat and, and Andrew Wiggins. Um, and and a, month, and a month later, on November tenth, uh, he was traded to traded to Philadelphia um, for for Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and, and Jared Bayless. Um, so so Jimmy just you know played played in just ten games, um, and then. Um, you know, obviously, you know the, the additions of Dario Saric and, and Robert, Robert Covington were, were huge, um, and, and you know Covington never played for played for Ryan Saunders, uh, which is which was unfortunate, but he played well uh, for the Wolves under Tibbs. Uh, the Wolves went you know twelve and ten when they had him, and twenty six or twenty and twenty six, excuse me, when they didn't have him. Um, and you know the thing with the Wolves uh, under Tibbs is you know they played very slow. Um, you know a lot of three out, two in guys with. With having Cat and Taj Gibson up front, um, and then you know having having guys like uh, Jeff Teague and Andrew Wiggins and, and Josh Okogie um, playing playing on the perimeter, um, and Robert Covington too when he was in, um, but they really struggled on the glass um, last season. You know, not a lot of depth up front, um, backup center. You know, you only have Gorgie Jang, and that's about it, um, which was tough. And you know, that, the addition of Dario Sarge helped on the glass, but. But, you know, he was a guy that, that found himself on the perimeter far too often and, and wasn't able to help out down low. Um, and especially, you know, you got guys like Andrew Wiggins who, you know, have, have struggled to stay engaged at uh, times. Um, so that didn't help either. And the team really didn't shoot a whole lot of threes um, either, you know, which which makes it tough to win in today's NBA. Um, you know, especially when you got guys capable of, you know, shooting it from deep like Cat and, and Andrew Wiggins and Jeff Teague. Um you know, and there, there was just, you know, poor depth and lack of shooting, you know, coming off the bench. You know, we had guys like, you know, Anthony Tolliver that would play, um, coming in and shoot from time to time. And, and you know, Derek Rose, you know, 
kind of much to the shock of everybody came in and, and really shot the three ball. Well, um, she, you know, shot it close to 50% for, for the first part of the year there. Um, you know, but other than that, you know, a bunch of guys like, like Tyus Jones and, and, you know, Lou Aldang, you know, didn't shoot the ball all that well. Um, so, so this year, uh, this year hopefully will be, will be a much better, much better, much better year on Ryan Saunders, you know, kind of piggybacking off, off of what we saw last year with, with Saunders. And, you know, the Wolves only went 17 and 25, but, you know, you saw a lot of growth in Carl Anthony Towns, especially, which was, uh, you know, which was really encouraging to see, you know, cat average 27, 13 and, and four assists, um, 13 boards and four assists, um, shooting 50, you know, 54% from the floor, 42 from deep and 85 and, you know, 84% from the line. And if he does that, you know, he could find himself in the MVP conversation uh, on this year. You know, obviously that's dependent on, on how the, you know, Wolves record shakes out, but, uh, but just to kind of give you, give you a sense of how good he was last season. Um, and, you know, under, under, under Saunders, the second half of the year, you know, they still had all the same assistant coaches and, and didn't change up the philosophy too bit or too much. So they had a lot, still a lot of three out, two in, uh, but that's not something that, uh, that we're going to see this upcoming season. So. Yeah, definitely. So it was, it was a, a hectic season to say the least. Uh, go ahead and touch on, you know, kind of the ins and outs of this summer, who they acquired, who left the team, who they drafted um, in any trades this off season to, to kind of show, you know, what, what this team might look like this year compared to last year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you know, the, the real change that, that took place within the Wolves organization started at the top. Um, it started with, you know, obviously, you know, Tibbs, Tibbs was fired. Um, and he, he was also the president of basketball operations um, for the Wolves. And so, you know, this summer really started with, you know, Glenn Taylor and, and search committee in the front office. Um, that included, you know, it included, you know, a good, you know, a good wide range of people. It included Jim Peterson, who's a color commentator for the Wolves. That's, you know, a really well-respected guy in, in the Minneapolis area and within the Wolves. Um, and, you know, guys like Kat and Andrew Wiggins and, you know, and, and high-ranking officials in the, in the Lynx organization as well, which I thought was interesting. Um, so, and then, so they hired Gerson Rosas, who was the um, kind of the number two guy behind Daryl Morey on uh, Houston and, you know, a guy that focuses a lot on, a lot on analytics and, and really the modern, modern style of play in the NBA with, you know, up-tempo, a lot of threes, a lot of, a lot of high pick and rolls and, and ball screens. Um, so, so, you know, that kind of set the tone for, for, you know, who the Wolves are going to go after. Um, and so as, as far as players go, um, you know, obviously, uh, the Wolves drafted Jared Calder number six overall, um, and, and to move up there, they, they had to get rid of Dario Saric. Um, they so they traded him to Phoenix, um, and and Phoenix took the eleventh pick, who I believe they they used on Cam Johnson from UNC, um, and right. then other guys leaving. Uh, Taj Gibson went back home uh, to New York uh, to play with the Knicks, and that you should really just call them the New York power forwards. Um, and, and Luol Dang and Jared Bayless also departed, you know, Tyus Jones, hometown hero, a guy who grew up about 20 minutes south of Minneapolis, actually spent a lot of time growing up, growing up around Tyus Jones, um, you know, was played against his younger brother, Trey and Gary Trent Jr. plays for the Blazers, um, you know, almost every single weekend, which, which was a lot of fun. Um, and, and watched them a bunch in high school. Um, so, so it's going to be tough to, tough to not have Tyus around. Um, but, and also losing Derrick Rose and Anthony Tolliver were kind of the main other two guys that we lost. But, you know, in addition to drafting Culver, we also drafted Jalen Well, who's a, 
who's a really, really athletic two guard that can shoot it really well from uh, from Washington. And, and he primarily played zone in college, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he kind of fits in with you know a team that's going to do a lot of switching and a lot's going to be asked of of wing defenders this year. Um, we also drafted Nas Reed, uh, and and he played really, really well in summer league, uh, which which earned him a guaranteed contract. Um, we initially signed him to do a two way, but um, but yeah, you know Saunders loved what he saw. Um, saw you know with Pablo Prigioni running the running the summer league squad um and so um you know in addition to Prigioni who we who we got from from Brooklyn um you know he's he's a big time player development guy there um crucial crucial guy in in developing D'Angelo Russell um so he'll, so he'll kind of be the offensive coordinator um with with Saunders this year which will be sweet um and then David Vanterpool is our associate head coach who we, we hired away from uh from Portland um, and, and, and he kind of moved laterally, um, which was a huge get, get for Minnesota. Um, you know, he, uh, his defenses were, you know, were always very, very good. Um, and key reasons why those Portland teams were mainstays in the playoffs, um, and did a great job of covering up for, you know, pretty below average defenders and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Um, and in addition to Devanterpool, two really key, um, more kind of like personal coaches really is, is how we're going to see him. Uh, Max Lefebvre, uh, he was the Texas Tech de- Director of Player Development. Um, so he, he was big in, in getting guys like Zaire Smith, who was a lottery pick last year for the, for the Sixers, and, and Jared Culver, who, who we took this year, and, and taking them from guys who are virtually unknown coming into college and, and you know, turning them into absolute studs. So, so keeping him around uh, to work with Culver will be huge. Uh, and he'll also, he'll also take on, you know, video coordinating roles. Um, and then Kevin Hansen as another guy that we hired from, uh, from the Pelicans. He was actually, um, worked really, really closely with, with Anthony Davis and, and other big men down there, like, you know, like Jolly Oak for, um, so, so he'll be important in, in working directly with Carl Anthony Towns, hopefully, especially on the defensive end. Um, and then also working with, with new, new, uh, newcoming big men. We got, uh, Noah Vonley. Uh, who played very well for the Knicks last year um, in, in a starting role, um, and, and Jordan Bell, obviously, who you know played for played for the champs, um, and is is now coming coming to Minnesota, really really hungry for an opportunity. Um, in addition to those two guys, um, you know, we also brought in Shabazz Napier and Travion Graham, um, ironically, <laughs> which was part of the D'Angelo Russell trade. Uh, so not not exactly the uh, the way that Wolves fans wanted us to be involved in that trade, um, but. You know, Napier will step right in and, and be able to, you know, be that number two point guard behind Jeff Teague and Travion Graham. I highly doubt that he's going to be on the roster opening day, but, you know, it's just another guy that, you know, we can potentially take a flyer on. Uh, but the, the one other guy that, I, that I'm really interested in, the Wolves the Wolves brought in this year, was they, they acquired Jake Lehman in a sign-and-trade from from Portland. Um, and we also signed him to a three-year deal, which which I thought was awesome. He's the... Uh, the only newcoming newcoming guy outside of the draft picks that we signed to a multiple year deal, um, and, and and we can talk about him a little bit later. But but uh, but I'm really excited about about what Jake Lehman is is going to bring to the Wolves this upcoming year. So with all this change, uh, go ahead and just touch on the team's depth overall and how you feel about the direction of the team, both uh, you know in the short term this upcoming season as well as the direction of the team you know long term developing these guys and how you think the the team's going to be for years down the road. Yeah, so so this summer was was really formative. Um, you know, bringing in a guy like Gerson Rosas, who you know wanted to go big game hunting right away. You know, 
the Wolves were, you know, seen as the front runners all the way to like D'Angelo Russell before, you know, Golden State swoped uh, swope in at the last minute um, and took him right out from underneath us. But, uh, but it's important that, that the Wolves have, um, you know, a guy at the top that, that's willing to, you know, do everything to put guys around Cat that, that fit and, and, uh, and that are going to complement his play, you know, as best as, you know, as best as they can. Um, but in addition to that, um, you know, in the short term, I think that, you know, getting guys like Shabazz Napier and Jake Lehman and, you know, Noah Vonley, guys that can all shoot the ball pretty well, um, will be really key. Um, and, and also, you know, having a guy like Jordan Bell in the short term who, you know, is a guy who's kind of seen as a raw prospect, but, but showed flashes of really being able to, you know, really produce on both ends of the floor um, in, in short, you know, short dosages. Um, you know, with Golden State last year, and hopefully having a guy like David Banterpool that that's you know widely seen as, as one of the best defensive coaches in the NBA to work with, work with guys like Jordan Bell and Noah Vonley and Cat down low can really you know strengthen the interior interior defense of the team there, uh, which will be huge um, right away in, in this upcoming season. The Wolves were terrible and you know down in the post on defense and and, and defensively rebounding the ball, so those two guys will be a big big boost um and other depth pieces outside of outside of napier layman uh von Lane bell we also have josh akogi uh, josh akogi has shown flashes of, of being able to be a really really high level on ball defensive player um he's only going to get better um you know last year he was, he was a little spastic with the ball in his hands at times and, and turned the ball over a little bit too much driving to the rim uh, but it was three-point shot has improved he's played really really well in the you know, in the in the international competition that's going on right now out in China, he's playing for the Nigerian nas- national team that that just qualified for the Olympics this uh, this weekend. Um, and, and so I, I'm really looking forward to see him being you know more calm and cool and poised. Um, he showed that at summer league as well. So so just having one more year under his belt will help him a lot. And then you know, Jared Culver is the, is the only other guy that I think is really going to play really going to play a lot of minutes um, this season as a newcomer. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that doesn't necessarily do one thing exceptionally well, but is super solid, you know, defensively can guard at all three levels. Um, he can also score at all three levels. Um, you know, people f- freaked out last season about his, his efficiency numbers, but that's really because he was the only guy on that Texas Tech team that, that made it all the way to the national championship game in Minneapolis. Um, and so, you know, being able to, you know, have guys that can get on the ball in his spots and shoot the ball well, um, for a second unit team or a second unit for a team that, you know, struggled to shoot the ball last year, I think is, is going to be huge. Um, so, so yeah, and, and long-term, you know, I think that, you know, I think that, you know, Rosas is, is really bringing the right guys in that, that supplement and, and complement Cat, Cat's play really well. And that's kind of the name of the game. As Cat said all this summer about, you know, how happy he is and how much he loves his organization and, you know, and how Rosas has really, really made it a family environment, which, which is something that's really encouraging to see. Um, just because, you know, anytime you can make your, your star player super happy, that, that's obviously something that, that you're going to want to try and accomplish. So um, in the long term, you know, I'd love to see guys like Bell and Lehman sign, or excuse me, Bell and, and Bondley sign long-term deals, uh, just because I think the sky, the sky is really the limit for both of those guys. Um, but, but yeah, the Wolves, the Wolves will be, you know, much deeper than they were last year. So... So kind of a two-part question. Uh, what are your projections for the team this year as far as uh, you think they'll be better? Do you think they'll be worse? Are they playoff bound? And the second part of that question, what do you think would be considered a successful season for the Minnesota Timberwolves? Yeah, so uh, I think it'd be pretty damn impossible for the Wolves to 
you know, to, to be worse than they were last season, um, barring, barring any major injuries. So, uh, like I said, last season, the Wolves went 36 and 46 and were the 11th seed in the West. Um, and the only teams worse than them, uh, I want to say, were, were the Grizzlies, uh, the Pelicans, the Mavs, and obviously the Suns. And so, um, you know, I really think that, that the Timberwolves can, can get to that 45, 45 win mark. If they, if they get there, I would say that's probably a successful season. Um, but, but I'm not necessarily going to use wins as a barometer for how successful they are. You know, I, I really think that, you know, working the, working the bench players in the end of the game and, and really, you know, making sure that there are eight or nine guys that can play, you know, big time minutes and, and contribute, uh, I, I think are, are really what's going to, you know, show how successful this team will be. I think getting Culver, you know, 25 minutes a game at least will be, will be huge. Uh, and obviously just, you know, getting into the top half of the league and three-pointers attempted, I think, will, will help this team take a huge step forward. Uh, as for, you know, projecting where the Wolves will be, um, you know, I, I think that the Wolves will be right around that, that 45, 45 win mark. You know, I can see them being, you know, I, I don't necessarily see them being a 50-win team just because, you know, I think that, you know, the division they play in is an absolute gauntlet. Um, and, and they're going to lose. They're going to lose games in that division. Uh, but, but I would I would not rule out the Timberwolves. Um, the Timberwolves getting in the playoffs this upcoming season. So you mentioned, you know, your projection is is about forty five wins. Um, the last uh, over under from Vegas that I saw was thirty five and a half. I'm going to assume that means you're taking the over on that. Absolutely. I thought that was I thought that was a little disrespectful to be honest with you. Um, just because. Uh, just because of all the additions, I think that you know they're gonna they're gonna run and gun with Saunders and and shoot a lot of threes and get up and down the floor. And they've got guys like Jake Lehman that do both of those things really well. Um, a lot of athletes like Jordan Bell and, and Noah Vonley coming in, um, and guys like Jared Culver who are terrific decision makers and they got the ball in their hands in a fast break. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that with the combination of Saunders Saunders play style for for this upcoming season. And, you know, any additions that they made, I think, would, would make that a pretty sure bet. Um, pretty sure bet for the over 35 and a half. Fair enough. Uh, so last question before I let you go here, Jack. Uh, hit me with three hot takes for the, for the Timberwolves this upcoming season, whether it be uh, individual related or team related. All right. So, so number one, I think I truly believe that Carl Anthony Towns is going to be the first team all on VA Center. Um, this upcoming season, um, I think that I think that last season was kind of kind of the year of Nikola Jokic, where you know nobody nobody really knew that the Nuggets were going to be good, um, and, and now teams will be able to game plan around him. Um, but you know, averaging 27, 13, and four on ridiculous shooting splits like he did last season, I see no reason why Cat can't can't do more of that the second half of this year, especially especially getting a guy like Robert Covington back will help him out a bunch there. So, so that's, that's first and foremost, cat cat's going to be first team all NBA center. Um, and, and I actually think the wolves are going to be a better team, uh, better team than San Antonio, Dallas and New Orleans. And they're going to crack the top seven in the West. Um, I, I think that they're going to be, I think that number seven seed is probably about right for them. Um, and that's assuming that Robert Covington stays healthy. I know that he, he's been banged up coming into the year, but but he, all I've heard is is that he's healealthy and ready to go. And, um, and other than that, I think I think D'Angelo Russell is, is going to be a Minnesota Timberwolf uh, by the time the trade deadline rolls around. Um, you know, Clay Thompson is is a bionicle. He's 
he's an absolute robot. Um, and I think that he's going to, he'll come back before, you know, before the all-star break. I wouldn't be surprised to see him back right around the first of the year. Um, and when he comes back, I think that, you know, having a third guy in that backcourt is going to create a log jam and, 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 you know, and the, the Warriors are going to come to the Wolves and say, hey, you know, we'll take Robert Covington and a pick. Um, you know, Robert Covington and, and whether it be Gorgie Jang or, or Jeff Teague and a pick. Um, you know, I think that, I think that uh, Gerson Rosas is, is not going to be denied when it comes to securing a, a superstar player to, to pair with Carl Anthony Towns. That'd be very interesting. I think that a, a trio of Cat Wiggins and, and Russell would be a lot of fun to watch for sure. Um, so, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Again, uh, we had Jack Borman here. Uh, he covers the Minnesota Timberwolves for Dunking with Wolves. Uh, if you're interested in high school hoops, he also uh, covers that as well for At Prep Hoops. If you're interested in some of these up-and-coming prospects that will be in the NBA here in a couple years, make sure you give that a follow as well. Uh, again, his Twitter handle, his personal Twitter handle is at JRBorman13. And Jack, thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. All right, and that'll do it for our episode five of the season preview series. Again, I just want to shout out our guests one more time. Uh, Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports, who came on and talked about the Celtics. Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast came on and talked about Memphis. Shamit Dua covering the New Orleans Pelicans at the In the Know podcast. And then Jack Borman for Dunking with Wolves to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. If you guys have been keeping up with the series, we really appreciate you. We put a lot of time and effort into this, securing, as you guys can tell, some awesome, awesome guests. So it's been a blast. We've really, really enjoyed covering it. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening. Uh, If you have enjoyed listening, please make sure that you follow our guests. They're all great NBA minds. They're, They're great guys to have on your timeline. And also, would you do us a favor and go and drop a five-star rating on iTunes for us? We're right at 100 ratings. Uh, We're like at 98 or 99 now. Uh, Getting to 100 would just be a cool milestone for us. Also, the more ratings we have, the higher up we get on these NBA charts as far as podcasts. So people find us a lot sooner and whenever they search. And it, it helps us out because we get more listens. So... If you don't follow us already on Twitter, we are at the underscore uncontested. You can really find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts at. And shout out to our podcast network, Blue Wire. You can find them on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods and online at bluewirepods.com. You guys have a great rest of your week. We will see you probably on Thursday morning. We'll drop a a podcast Thursday morning, a Thunder-centric one. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, until then, you guys have a great start of your week. Thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.